Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I have a really nice conversation with the writer, the designer, and publisher, Adrian Shaughnessy. Adrian, along with Tony Brook, who I talked to a few months ago, is the co-founder of Unit Editions, the great publisher of design books and monographs for people like Paula Scher, Herb Lubalin, Lance Wyman. But Adrian is also a prolific writer and has written for publications like I and Design Observer and a book of his collected essays called Scratching the Surface, which is a, a great title, were published in 2013. Before transitioning to a career in writing, Adrian worked as a designer and ran his own studio for, uh, for many years. But my first introduction to Adrian's work came almost uh, 15 years ago, actually, when as a high school student, I bought his now seminal book, How to Be a Graphic Designer Without Losing Your Soul. I'm pretty sure it was the first design book that I ever owned, and I just loved how he wrote about the field and how to work as a designer. So I've been following his work for basically as long as I've been interested in design, and it was great to finally get a chance to talk to him. In this episode, Adrian and I talk about his early interest in design and how he started writing. We talk about the similarities between editing and art direction, uh, writing for a general audience, and how the discourse has changed over the course of his career. This was a special one for me, I think, and I think it pairs really well with my interview with Tony. There are only a few people who have been as dedicated to design writing as Adrian has, so I am honored to have had this chance to talk with him for the podcast. So here is my conversation with Adrian Shaughnessy. You know, I kind of wanted to start talking to you. Your book, How to Be a Graphic Designer Without Losing Your Soul, was um, was literally, I think, the first graphic design book that I ever bought when I was in high school. Um, and was very uh, seminal to kind of my very early design education. But the reason I bring it up is that I, my whole knowledge of your work, you had already kind of transitioned to being a writer. But, but you, you had a, a design career before that. And so I'm kind of interested in that early design career and then that transition to, to being a writer. Well, it was, it was a very gradual, a very slow change. Um, but um, I, I didn't. I didn't go to design school. I, I trained in, okay. a, in a studio um, in the pre-digital age, uh, right. and I was trained by. Uh, they weren't told they had to train me, but as long as I asked politely, these uh, very experienced guys would would show me how things work. And I realised that after kind of drifting a bit in my early life, I realised that here was something I could. I think I could do as graphic design business and um, I was actually employed as a um, which I'm the least qualified person in the world to do this but I was employed as a copy uh, checker checking um, mm. artwork and um, but when I saw old-fashioned mechanical paste up mechanical artwork yeah. uh, I, I, I instinctively understood it I just knew I had a, a real sense of how this this could work and, and, the, and that I could do it. And eventually I got taken on as a trainee and quite quickly I was able to start functioning. So 
I, it, it was it sort of saved my life in a way because I was drifting hopelessly. Uh, who knows where I might <laughs> what uh, pit I might have ended up in? But I um, yeah, this was the thing I I, I could do. And um, after some kind of pretty dreadful jobs, I, I eventually set up my own studio uh, in about I think it was about 1989. Okay. So where did the where did the writing piece of that okay. come in? That that came much much later. That was okay. So I I, I mean I say later. I've always been interested in the written word, and, and I'm an avid oh, okay. reader. And um, you know I, I but I didn't feel that this was something I could do. Whereas graphic design, I felt I could do. So so the, oh, interesting. The, the ambition, if if you like, was was part. The writing ambition was part. And um, weird thing happened. My studio, we, we, we set up in 89, and uh, through, the, through the 90s, we, 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 we did really well. We, we, we did a lot of work, and we grew. And mm -hmm. um, towards, I suppose it was mid-90s, suddenly I was having to write proposals all the time. So clients uh. would come, and they would say, yeah, yeah, we, yeah but what are you really going to do, and how will you approach it? And, and I, so I ended up, writing and it was also kind of a way of saying we're not doing free work i would say well, right. look, i'll write you a proposal and we were also doing things like music videos so i would write treatments for music videos okay and i realized that you had to be really concise you had to be so sharp with the writing because these guys just don't have time right. for this and I just felt it was such a good discipline. And, and I suddenly realized that a huge part of my time was spent writing these proposals. And then I thought, I, I, I've, got to, I've got to take this skill or whatever it was that I'd acquired. And as you mentioned, that you, one of your entry points was, was um, the, kind of the, the, the blogs and the design discourse right. of, the, of the early 2000s. And, and I... I'd been involved in, or I'd been very interested in, in the design discourse. I, I, I really, okay. really felt engaged with it. And, but I realized if you wanted to be part of it, you had to be a writer. Right. And so I felt that this was what I, 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 I this was where I would take this uh, ability to write concisely. And I would channel it into writing about design. So I, I, got, I had a few things published in, in British design magazines. Uh, and suddenly I realized I was in demand. I was getting asked to do stuff and thought, oh, okay, maybe this is something that I can keep doing. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's why it's interesting. I mean, kind of what you just articulated is why you were interesting to me. is because you had a seemingly successful design practice and it seemed very quickly, you know, pivoted into being a a writer. Yeah. Was that were you kind of conscious of that at the no, time? No, not at all. It was a very slow. Um, it, it, it seems it seems to have pivoted, but but it wasn't. It was, okay. it was a slow process. And I am. Um, it 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 sort of. I suppose it also grew up. It it also it was also kind of. Um, forced in a way or, or in, encouraged by the fact that towards the end of, I don't know, get my dates right, I suppose towards the end of the 90s, I kind of fell out of love a bit with with clients and, and this whole sort mm. of 
dance and you know ballet we have to do to keep our clients happy. Actually, I was really good at it. I, I, it was something I could do. Um, yeah. And like anything else you can do in life, you're not that impressed. So I thought, I, I don't want to spend the rest of my life doing, you know, doing all right. this kind of client stuff. And writing seemed to be one of the very few ways that you could bypass, that you could become your own client in a way. Although obviously mm. you have editors and you have commissioners and things, but writing just felt freer than, than, than yeah. design. So, so it wasn't it wasn't a, an overnight thing. It was a slow process. Really, a really, the first thing I did um, that made me realise that maybe I could do this was was, um, and I'm eternally grateful to him. But Rick Poiner, when he was editor mm. of mm-hmm. I, and I, and I was very impressed with I. I thought I was just what the design world needed in the nineties. <laughs> and um, Rick commissioned a long piece for me about the German music label ECM. Oh yeah, and. and he, he said a funny thing. He said, look, when he, when he eventually said, when he eventually commissioned it, he said, now look, please understand that I, you know, that we have very high standards on I, and if you don't meet those standards, I'm going to have to reject it, or I'm going to have <laughs> yeah. to edit, you know, edit the shit out of you. So right. I am, um, this is a great challenge. I thought, you're not touching my copy. And, um, yeah. But it, but it made me write a piece that, and he, to his credit, he, he acknowledged that it was, um, I standard, which was very flat. Okay, good. Um, that was a relief. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but that was a great moment because I, I, I realized I'd passed a certain test. And, um, yeah. and then just kept kept writing, just kept, you know, kept looking at design from the... I was very conscious of the fact that I wanted to be a, a practitioner writer. Okay, you know, yeah. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to keep keep some kind of sense of practice in my writing um, and not become a completely objective, a completely, um, yeah, completely objective. I wanted to to write from the viewpoint of a working designer. Right. I mean, that was, that was exactly what my next question was going to be kind of, because you had mentioned earlier that any kind of writing ambitions that you had were kind of parked and you were focused on this design career, but then you started getting commissions to write pieces. Did, did your writing ambitions change then where you saw yourself being a full-time writer? Did you always want to keep the design piece involved? Yeah, yes. I, 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 the, the life of a full-time, at the, at the point I'd reached in my life, I, I actually gave up studio life. I, I, I left my studio. Right. Uh, it was a very amicable split, but I just thought, I don't want to keep doing this. And I, and I did imagine right. that I would spend a lot of my time writing and in, in reality I suppose I spent 50% of my time and then I got sort of okay. slightly sucked back into mainly mainly sort of consultancy work and but but, mm. but the thing that I loved to do was was was, was design but I was writing um, and it was a case of it was a case of two things really Pe- people coming to me and asking me to, to write about certain subjects and also me going to people and saying, hey, I've just found this. I'd really like to, to, to write right. about this. And, um, and also a very, very important was hooking up with the Design Observer. Because right. that, that was an absolute joy while it was, you know, it's an interesting conversation to be had about why Design Observer isn't what it used to be. Um, right. I've got some views on that. But, uh, <laughs> but it was what a joy to have that 
that um, that platform. Huge yeah. readership, you know, massive readership. And basically, I, you know, Jessica and Bill, Michael and Rick at that time, they never once told me what to write. They, it was an open platform. So I, that was hugely important to me. And it, yeah. it's, a, it's a bit of a sadness that, that, that it doesn't exist in that format anymore. Uh, yeah. I, I think I know why, and you may have views as well, but um, it's a shame because that, that was a wonderful platform. Yeah, I mean, and I would like to come back to that if we can, because I do have, it is something that has come up a lot in pe with people that I've talked to in that, um, you know, especially in the 90s, there was this kind of very big interest in design writing and theory and criticism, and then blogs like Design Observer kind of took that up in the, in the 2000s, and then, you know, now when I kind of talk to people about design writing and, and criticism, a lot of the complaints that come up are that there's no kind of platform for it or it's so dispersed now that there's just all these kind of dialogues happening in their own places and no one kind of collecting them yeah. anymore. Yeah. I, I think it's a very uh, valid criticism and it's, and, it's a, and it's a correct observation that, that, that these platforms um, that existed briefly. Um, right. My own feeling is that social media swept them away. Mm -hmm. I, I think yeah. people who would write a sort of, you know, two and a half thousand word um, uh, text right. on, on some subject, it's it's now a, a Facebook post or it's more likely it's a Twitter, 140 characters on Twitter. Right. And right. that's if you like, because one of the great things, although for, for the writers, it was a wonderful platform, but what was what, where the magic really took place on Design Observer was in the comments. Yeah, everyone comments. has said that. Yeah, there were comments that were better than the original, uh, you know, the original. <laughs> right. And, and often I, I I would read some comments and I, and it would just make me kind of, you know, make me want to write my piece again because someone, <laughs> some smart guy somewhere, some smart person had spotted something, and um, you know, it was it was sometimes it was humiliating. Uh, but usually it was it was enlightening, and, and, and then people would go off and have their own conversation. So so that doesn't that doesn't exist. That was a beautiful mm -hmm. little little thing. And I, and I think interestingly enough, the place where I see that happening most is in education. I, I okay. Think that debate now is carried on in academia, um, but I don't I do not see it taking place in the profession or or the. Do you do you think that, that that kind of discourse that is more than an Instagram post or 140 characters is even still possible today? Like, like do you think that could ever come back in some form? Uh, I, 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 I can't see it coming back because I can't see anybody... I mean, the, one of the things to say about Design Observer, it was a big sacrifice for everybody. Right. right. Uh, you know, you did... Towards the end, actually, funnily enough, there was there was some payment, but all this at its height, no one got paid. Um, right. And I suppose that be, you, that w eventually wears people out. It's you, you can do it for a while, and, and yeah. I was delighted to do it. I didn't I didn't have a problem. But but suddenly you realise you've just written you know thirty thousand words and no worse. <laughs> <And laughs> right. That wasn't the reason. You know, I, it, it opened other doors too. People would would ask you to do things because of. Uh, yeah. Now, I, I don't, to go back to your question, I don't see a, a place for this anymore. Um, I, other than I think it takes place in academia, 
And then when those students who, who in, who've indulged in that discourse, when they go off, you know, they're, they're, they're better informed, they're, 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 you know, they, right. they, they have much more of a grounding in, in design culture and the design discourse. So that's where, and I think a lot of the tutors are, are, are in, in institutions are of an age that they grew up with that design observer. Right. And, and other right. things too. I mean, you'd have to include things like Emma Gray um, right. and, you know, Stephen Heller's uh, AIGA um, um, posts. It wasn't just yeah. Design Observer, but I think from there was that wonderful moment when Design Observer absolutely led the field. Right. Do you? I have one other question kind of about that change, and, and I'm, I'm curious kind of for you and your own writing process has the the switch even from kind of print to blogs to now social media has that changed one how you write and your writing process but then also kind of what you write about and how you think about the topics you're writing about that's interesting um not really i because I, I i tried to for, for, I tried not to write differently for blogs or for, for print. So if I wrote something for Courageous Review or something, I, I would pretty much approach it in the same way. There is that wonderful thing that you can do with blogs is you can post links. You can compare <laughs> right. links. And, and you know, right. sometimes miss that when you're writing, writing for print. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't see a difference really but in writing for... In fact, I think, you know, I think... I think people trained and raised in print actually make better use of blogs um, mm. because they have their editorial discipline, perhaps. I mean, I, right. I, I, you know, I think they're wonderful people writing purely for blogs. But I think, I think to have come, to have had, for me to have had experience of working with, with a rigorous editor, like someone like Rick, um, yeah. it, it really helped me when, when it came to writing for, for, for blogs and things. So no, I don't see a difference. Okay. How, what about, I'm curious, kind of when you first started writing, was your writing process, did you notice differences between your process for writing versus your design process, or did those overlap at all? Yeah, that, that's interesting. I've often thought about this. I think it's, with, with my design hat on, I mean, certainly laterally with, with my studio, I was much more of a creative director, art director than I was hands-on designer. I, I pretty much, right. I, I gave up being a kind of, you know, sculptor on the, on the screen. You know. I, I gave right. that up quite a long time ago. And so most of, most of the time it was, it was working with the design team, being the link between clients and designers, um, and really dealing with ideas. So I, I, in a way I feel that not so much writing, but maybe editing and, and art direction, editing and mm. creative direction. They're quite similar processes. They're about making decisions. They're about kind of organizing material, but they're not doing the kind of the heavy lifting. Um, so I see a parallel there, but writing, I think, is, is, a, is well, certainly writing for me is a slow, painful, and, uh, right. you know, it's, I only love it when it's finished. I, I mean, <laughs> right. Um, so, so I've, yeah. I've often thought about this, um, what other parallels, but um, all I would say is that, you know, you want to do anything well in life, it, it, it takes 10 times longer than you think, 
Uh, and right. You, you just must never be satisfied. As soon as you're satisfied with something, you know, it, you know it's no good. Because you've right. just got to keep that kind of endless nagging. And, and so I go back to pieces I've written. And I, uh, but, you know, the, 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 the five minutes before I've got to submit it, I'm, 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 I'm tweaking it. And I think oh, many yeah. designers are like that too. They're constantly finessing and refining. So, so there are parallels, but they're also, they're also different. Do you find, you know, that's interesting, and this was not a question that I was planning on asking, but it, it, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, about a year and a half ago or so, about a year ago, I got your, your book of essays, um, also called Scratching the Surface, actually, which I had somehow missed. Uh, uh, but, you know, as I was kind of immersing myself and trying to, to read as much about design as I could to start this project, I finally picked up that book and read through it cover to cover and, and I'm curious it, it, it's interesting now thinking about that book and thinking about what you were just saying about kind of always editing and kind of you know those last minute changes do you find yourself returning to similar topics again from you know different angles or maybe an old essay your views have changed or you feel like you didn't get it and so you come back like is there do you think there's like an overarching theme to a lot of your work um I, w I would say no. Um, okay. But but I, I think obviously I'm not the per in a way I'm not the best person to ask that question to because I mean there are certain things that I'm that I'm interested in but I, I'm very conscious of the fact that if you start repeating yourself you're you're also kind of run the risk of being dead in the water so I I, I, I try and avoid that but, but maybe this is something you you want to talk about a bit later but I mean one of the the big change if you like is that I've become interested in design history. Mm -hmm. And that led to the setting up with Tony of the, of the publishing company. Um, right. And I suppose, really, that's where my interest lies now. So, um, I'm still, I mean, I've just, I've just, funnily enough, I've just written a piece, I've just come back from China, and I spent three right. weeks in China, and I've just written about, about China, and it was, there's very there's so much to say about China because it's just unbelievable, um, right? And I suddenly realised I'm I'm writing it for um, a design magazine, and I suddenly realised hey I haven't even mentioned design yet I haven't even got to design so oh wow um, I, I I I don't want to repeat I don't like to repeat myself, um, but I'm interested in you know the political and the cultural. Right. Makeup of, of of anything. So I tend to right. gravitate to those to, to those themes, but but also the aesthetic. I mean, I love I love aesthetics and and, and the fact that these things can be just amazing to look at. So those, yeah, I suppose I tend to gravitate around those those themes. Yeah, I was going to say I, I, something that I've always liked about your writing is that you do, and it's it's the kind of design writing that I'm most interested in, and and the type of design writing that I think I probably try not always successfully, but try to write myself, is, is the writing that does talk about the aesthetics, but also is bringing in political, cultural, social, economic, you know, everything outside of design into it to kind of help explain or, or talk about these things. I'm, I'm curious, though, kind of related to that, you know, someone who has started their, their studio in the late 80s and has kind of been been writing now for you know i mean you know at least 20 years almost 
Um, your, I, I don't know exactly how to phrase this. I'm curious about your commitment, and you mentioned this early that you always had a, a deep interest in the design discourse. I'm curious about your commitment to that discourse. And I'm thinking about everything from your books to the, the radio show that you did, to unit editions that you've really committed now a large part of your career to kind of furthering that discourse. Where's that interest come for you? But then also kind of what, what's the value in that that you see for the profession at large? Ooh, that's, a good, that's, that's a good question. <laughs> um, well, I, again, maybe it's something, something for somebody else to, to, to right. judge. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm just interested in design as a, as a, as a practice and, right. and design as a culture. And, and also the, a friend of mine recently, um, he, he teaches, he runs a kind of big design course. And um, I, was I, I spent some time with these students and um, I, said, I said, all they're interested in is design. They're not interested in, you know, when I was that age, I was into music and subcultures right. and stuff. And he said, he said, no, no, they're, they're, they're into the design tribe. They are members of the design tribe. And I suddenly thought, that was a rever there is now such a thing as a design right. tribe. And I, and I feel that, you know, maybe that's where I live now. I live in that world. Um, and pretty much everything I do is, is for the tribe. It's for, it's for people who are interested in, you know, it's yeah. led, it's led, it, certainly it's led to um, unit editions, which is a really huge and important part of my of my life now. Um, so whether it's got any value, I, I don't know, but it has value for me. <laughs> I I, um, I I like designers. I, I like I like the way they think. I understand right. them too. Uh, I, I I kind of I never have to sort of struggle to even designers who are working in very very different areas from me. I. I, I I instinctively understand them, and, and I, I also mm -hmm. I feel a little bit, and this is maybe a little bit pompous, and I, I don't you know I don't go around shouting this, but I, you know I feel I feel a bit evangelical about design. I really want people to mm. to understand that it has a value, and um, and that's a bit of a cliche, but but it's I I, I you know I like I, I often I, I like talking. Although I've said you know my my world is the tribe. I, I love being able to talk to people outside the tribe and say, well, this is what design can do. This is why design is important. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, that was... You started answering what my next question was going to be. Something I'm, I'm very interested in is the idea of audience and who, who design writing is for. And so much of it is for us. And I'm, I'm always curious about who, who else could this be of value to. And, and you know, here, here in in the States, and I'm not sure um, what it's like where you are, that a lot of newspapers will have architecture critics and music critics, and is there any value in a design critic at, you know, the New York Times, for example? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to think so, but, but I, <laughs> when, when, when I hear um, designers and commentators and design writers, complain about this, I, I kind of, I have a slightly different reaction. I, I think, well, whose fault is this? And, and I actually think it's, mm. our, I think it's our fault. I don't think yeah. it's the fault of newspaper owners. I mean, the, the, there's something huge going on in, in media anyway. And, um, you know, film critics are being, um, you know, right. got rid of them by the, you know, by the right. regard. 
and and um, because that again, that's something that's moved on to social media. Who, you know, who needs a film critic when you can go on Twitter and see, you know, get a, right. the views of a thousand people? But um, right. I think it's down, I think it's down to design writers to, to make design writing better and make it yeah. something that really appeals to you know. And I could just give you one example of someone that in the in the sixties and seventies there was a wonderful wonderful. Uh, British, uh, and he eventually went to the U.S. Um, uh, there was a man called Rainer Bannon. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. Everybody knows Rainer Bannon, and he, yeah. um, you know, he. I, I can read Rainer Bannon, and it's, you know, my granny can would would, would put something like <laughs> Rainer Bannon. I mean, he he has a way of writing that is not elitist, that is not closed it's it's open and it's yeah culturally astute and I, I i i think design writers need to take something from him there are there are other examples um there are people who i mean i would again another another brit but owen hatherley um, oh i don't know him really interesting writer um and he he can talk he's basically writes about architecture but he writes in a way that is not for the the profession. And right. So I think when designers, when writers say, "Oh, it's a shame we can't be published in," then whose fault is that? You know, really, we yeah. need to think about it. Yeah. yeah, I mean that 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 reminds me of this is something that I talk to a lot of people about because it's it's something that is is very deeply frustrating to me is that you know, for for so long designers have kind of complained that they you know weren't seen as valuable in culture that they wanted a seat at the table or you know kind of kind of whatever and that now we live in a place where for the most part everybody knows what design is and and kind of understands it on a surface level and then and then when we you know now that we have that a company redesigns their logo and then every designer just turns to twitter to complain about you know the kerning on it or something it's like now we have that chance and we're kind of wasting it on talking about, you know, kerning or, or typeface selection or something. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, I, I, you, you could say that that's not the fault of design writers, that's the fault of designers themselves. Um, right. But I think it's a shame that, that... I think it's a shame that there isn't really enough good... There, there is good design writing, but there's not enough of it. There's not enough to make a difference. There's not enough for people to say... You know, wouldn't it be great if we had, um, right? You, you know, someone who could, and, and it, well, it can't just be graphics. It, that's the other thing. It, it has to right. be. It has to be designed in the widest in the, in the widest sense. And, uh, you, you can you can see signs of it. You know, magazines like Wired and Fast Co. They they, they, they now treat. You know, they now do give space to, um, to design, but you wouldn't call it deep um, analysis. It's. It's, it's fairly superficial, but, but it, it's, right. an, it's an example of how it, it, it does exist, but perhaps not in the way that we, we'd ideally want it to exist. Um, I'm interested in, in what you think. This is a question that I ask everybody that I talk to. What are the topics or issues that designers should be talking about or design writers should be writing about, you know, kind of right now, 2017? Yeah. Well, I would, the easy answer to that is artificial intelligence. AI. Mm -hmm. I think um, I think AI is the the biggest single issue facing. I mean, you know, facing the world <laughs> yeah. really. Because yeah. You know, I, I, I read something the other day that in the future 
anything that can be automated will be automated. Right. And right. I think you can see within design there is a um, there are pe there there are people working on artificially uh, artificially intelligently generated design. So. So that's mm -hmm. coming. And what does that mean for designers? And I don't really see much discussion about it. There's, there's, a, there's been a few things. Um, so I would say in terms of the profession, that, that's the most important thing. But beyond that, I'd, I'd, I'd say education. Right. I, I, I think education is an um, absolutely vital issue. I, my own feeling is that in many, 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 many institutions produce students who are ahead of the curve, who are actually more advanced than, than right. their professional counterparts. Uh, and this is both a good thing and a problematical thing, because where do they fit in? Um, so I'd say that's another big issue. And then, of course, the culture, the, the, the political and economic situation. How, you know, right. how, do, how do you make money as a designer in the, in the, you know, in the, in the coming years? Right. How do you do it now? And things like we have in this country, we have things like zero hour contracts and so I think there's, oh, there's yeah. a huge slew of, uh, of really important issues. Some that apply directly to design, but generally they're things that apply to all, yeah, anybody who works, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's, I, I found that the, the writing that I'm most interested in now is not kind of critiques of work but are more critiques of the practice or the profession and, and looking at all those, the, the system of graphic design. So that's, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, my last question is I'm, I'm just kind of curious who the, the writers or the critics are that have influenced you. And, and maybe that's kind of when you first started writing, who are the people that you kind of look to? And then also now, who are the people that you're kind of, you know, really interested in? Okay. Um, well, I mentioned earlier that I, I didn't go to design school. I, 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 didn't, I don't have right. a university education. I'm, I'm, anything I know, I've, I've had to teach myself. Um, but one of the things that I, um, that I grew up on was, um, was critical writing. Mm. You know, critics reviewing literature, oh, interesting. films... And music, and I, I, you know, I, I've been a music uh, fan all my life, and so I, I right. you know, in the, particularly in the in the seventies, um, the the standard of music criticism was just fantastic. In the UK, we had a a, pub, a, a weekly publication called the NME, the New Musical Express. Um, oh yeah, yeah, and the writing in that was, you know, it was it was it, it wasn't disciplined writing, but it was it was on fire. It was just full of right. just amazing kind of reflections on, on, on life and music and, and culture. And I would say that's where I got my, apart from oh, okay. reading, you know, classic novels like Orwell and people like that, I, um, I just, I, in fact, I really, my first ambition was to be a music writer. I thought, I thought, oh. that's, I thought that's what I would do. Oh, okay. And that didn't, that just didn't happen. Um, and... I um, so I would I would hold up critical writing. I used to read reviews all the time, and so I kind of I was educated by by reviews. Yeah. Um, now it's it's harder to to pick people out to mention now. I mentioned Owen Hathaway as a as an architectural right. critic that I 
very impressive. You know, people like Rick Pointer and Steve Heller, I think, are both still, you know, giants. Yeah. Uh, Rick is less, you know, active in the design uh, field. He's more interested in photography now. But, um, yeah. you know, he writes with great clarity. And, and, and Steve, because of my interest in design history, I find right. Steve right. is always someone that I can turn to and, uh, yeah. and, and, and get something from. So, um, I... You know, maybe you know my my favorite reading is the London review, the London review of books. You know, oh, yeah. long, long reviews of, 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 of not not just fiction, um, but that's the writing that that I really like. I mean, long critical pieces. Um, yeah. Uh, reviews of films. Um, I read the Wire magazine, not Wired, the Wire, the music magazine. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, again, a great place yeah. for. It's a really good reflective project. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I actually love that because it kind of brings this whole conversation full circle where you kind of, you know, really kind of just fell into design and then kind of started writing. But even before that, you had this interest in criticism. And, you know, even though you have written about music a bit, it, it just turns out to be a different subject, and that is kind of what you're what you're doing now. So it's actually kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I would say, as a, as a you know as a free university, reading you know excellent reviewers, and, and you know, I mean American literature. I mean, I, I, I could just spend the rest of my life just reading good American. <laughs> right. and, and you know, good American arts journalism is, is, is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So. Um, I would happily just spend my life yeah. reading that. So it's, it's yeah. But that's, I love that's, that. that's what I learned. You know, everything I know. I mean, by, by reading critical writers and reviewers. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you so much for doing this. Like I said at the beginning, your book was one of the first design books that I picked up and so my interest in design writing is is largely uh because of you so I'm glad that that we got to do this so thank you so much this episode was recorded on August 11th 2017 our theme music is by Andy Borgasani we're on Twitter and Instagram at surface podcast you can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm thanks for listening